2 Corinthians chapter 1. We will be picking back up where we left off last week with verses 12, verse 12, and we'll go from verse 12 through verse 24. We will finish the chapter today. If you joined us last week, um, we took a look at a start of a brand new epistle, a letter from Paul to the Corinthian believers. He's writing this letter because he's responding to some of the challenges that are happening within that church. There is a fraction, there are some people who were going against his leadership as an apostle, going against his, the teachings of God. They were swaying away. The Judaizers, these believing Jews, uh, started wanting to bring in works into the faith, wanted to bring in things that you had to do's and don'ts to, to be able to uh, say that you're a Christian kind of mentality. And with that, when you start swaying from the word of God, then you start having issues within churches. And it happened right from the very beginning. This is a church that Paul invested his life in. God used him to spread the gospel around the world. And in, this, in Corinth, this is a place that was a very wicked place. They did, they, it was a Gentile location. They worshipped idols. They worshipped the world. They worshipped themselves. Nothing new under the sun today. And it happened there. And so what happened is the church started. It was vibrant. It was good. It was solid. But as after a year and a half spending there and he moved on to the next place, then the enemy comes in and tries to cause a division within the body just so the work of God cannot be moving forward healthy and, and good. And so Paul, as we've seen in 1 Corinthians, wrote a letter to try to address some of the questions they had that was taking place. And 2 Corinthians, we know that here he's, again, trying to help them understand who he is and, and, and what God is, has, has done through his life and is doing through his life and continuing to do his life with that church in Corinth. Now, as we saw last week, you know, Paul, along with his, his, his brothers that was with him, his associates, one of them he noted in verse 1 of chapter 1, Timothy, um, you know, had all invested their time into this church. They've put their blood, sweat, and tears to help them grow in their understanding and knowledge um, of who Jesus Christ is. Planting the foundation of the hope that's in their hearts that they never had hope before. They never had direction in their life prior to this. And now they've been, their eyes have been opened, their ears have can hear, they have hope of eternity. In that relation, that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But still, that doesn't stop the enemy from wanting to divide and conquer and to ruin what God is doing in someone's life. And the flesh can get very strong. And Paul, wanting to invest in there, as we saw, that he had a, a desire for to, to come and continuing to minister to them. But this fraction, this, this, guy, this person we do not know who was leading this group was putting doubts in the people's minds of the leadership and the love that Paul had for these people. And we will see in 2 Corinthians how Paul pours out his heart to let them know that they're absolutely wrong. 
But why are some of the Christians that Paul invested in and demonstrated in his life that he loves them, why would these Christians accuse Paul of deception or negligence of their church? That he had his own agenda, that he was selfish, that he really didn't care for them. Why would Christians say that to their minister? Why? Because here, this group had been forced to change, because Paul had been forced to change his plans from what he had communicated to them, they used that as a way to bring in doubt into the minds of the people. That's how the enemy works. Find a little opportunity, find a change in plans, and then use that against and leverage that against the leadership or the minister or the pastor of that church. Or to minister and, and to come against the father of the family. Or to bring in doubt that the mother really, you know, really does the mother know what he's doing. And this young boy who's in puberty thinks that he knows what's best. And charts challenging mom's authority and dad's authority. There's nothing new. It doesn't happen just in the church. It starts within the family. Because the hearts are not right. That's the problem. They're not willing to be humbled and submissive to those who have been placed by God in your life in a position of a leader or a father, as a parent, as a boss, as a supervisor, whatever that person may be in your life. But Paul had originally promised to spend, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 2 through 8. If you remember, he said, I, I, want to, I think it would be really good if I can come to you there in Corinth. I'm going to spend the time through winter with you. It's probably better I spend winter with you right there in Greece versus going down into Jerusalem and, and down into Judea area. I'll just hang with you, spend time with you, and encourage you in the faith. And then I'll move on, and you can help me move on with the the." collection, that special collection he was taking for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. That was the plan. That's what Paul felt was really the good thing to do, and he communicated there. But wanted to, Paul wanted to gather those time with them, gather that, that special offering for the poor Jewish believers. And then Paul would then make his way down there. But then plans changed. As we see in verse 9, there was a great and effective door had opened to, to Paul. God had opened up another door and said, this is what I need you to do. I know you, your plans were sincere, as we will see. That this is what I initially thought you were wanting to go. But there was a greater plan. I got something else for you to do, Paul, and you're going to have to change your plans. You have to be, blessed are the flexible, Paul. And how important we have to learn as Christians that there's be blessed in the flexibility that God gives you to do what he wants you to do. And sometimes you are so set in your mind of what you believe God wants you to do. And those doors close and other doors open. Blessed are the flexible. And as we will see, Paul's sincere heart, as he will say in simplicity, is a reflection of who he is, and, and he's going to communicate that. But now Paul's plans have changed. We're going to see that he has now, instead of going through Corinth, down to see those believers, he's going to now have two visits to Corinth. 
and that he's going to visit him on the way into to Macedonia, but he was also going to see them on the way out of, from Macedonia to Judea, and he was going to use that, and he thought that was a, even a better plan than just one time. This is even better. But even plan B had to be scrapped, as we will see. That even though that was even a better plan, why did the plan have to change again? Well, because we will see at the end of chapter 1 and start of chapter 2, he did it out of love for those Corinthian believers. And we will see that very clearly. Here in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians of chapter 1, we see Paul is going to boast in a way that shows that he's going to bring to light what, is, what he is so eagerly willing and happily willing to share with you and I, or in this case, to the Corinthian believers in Corinth. He says, for our boasting is this. Who's our? Well, we're going to find Timothy was one of them. We're going to see Silvanus was another. There was others. But our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. So he starts right off at the very beginning here. In verse 12, he says, we have a testimony. We have something to say to you that is a, as we would, he refers to as boasting or a bringing to light and willing to share and, and make sure it's clear to you from our own conscience that we came and we in simplicity, it wasn't complicated, it wasn't a bunch of legal jargon, it wasn't like you need to have me... Uh, to, you have to follow me because I'm the only one that has the secret or it's in my language so you must come to me and listen to it because you don't know the language. None of that. It's in simplicity in their own language and with godly sincerity. Paul here is defending himself against all the accusation that he is not sincere or he is unreliable in the ministry. He simply states that he has a clear conscience before God. Do we have that same testimony today? That our conscience before God is clear. Do we, can we boast of the place and the position and what God has been doing through our lives? Has it been simply to worship and praise him with all sincerity. Because Paul had a clear conscience. He trusts that the Corinthian Christians would understand as he writes this letter that he, they would understand where his heart is. A person's conscience can condemn or justify his, her, his or her actions. We see in Romans 2 verses 14 through 16. A person's conscience can condemn or justify. But the conscience cannot be the ultimate standard of judgment. Only God is the one that knows 
the heart of a person. He's the one that judges. But Paul says, my conscience before God is clear. See, these Corinthian Christians were so accustomed to dealing with ministers who were calculating and manipulative, they figured Paul must have gone astray. He was seemed started well, but man, now he's not showing up when he's showing up. He seems to want, he's collecting a special giving, and, and he's asking, yes, he's asking for us to identify someone to go with him to Jerusalem to deliver it so that he's, he's above reproach and, and all these things. But man, I don't know, people. I think Paul might be a little off. I don't think we should be listening to Paul anymore. You should listen to me. I'm the one as your leader. I'm the one that's sitting here. I know what's best. I think he's a little off here. Those kind of conversations, people, will cause division. And that was happening in this church. Is that a few starts putting doubts in the minds of those in the body. Are you sure Paul is not calculating and manipulative right now. He's not here. He, he's the one that left. He said he was going to come, but he didn't come. But Paul makes it very clear right here to these Corinthian Christians who had become cynical or became started having a critical spirit was setting in. They believed that everyone had bad motives and was out to for personal gain and power. They didn't trust Paul because they became that cynical, became that critical spirit. Paul here is saying, wait a minute, I have a clear conscience here, my brothers and sisters. I'm telling you right now that I can look inside my heart and I know it. And as he will reveal to us in the scripture, the rest of chapter one, he actually has witness of and writing to God himself as his witness that the character character trait that's in his life is sincerity. One that's absent. Sincerity is the one of absence of deceit. One of absence of hypocrisy. When someone who has hypocrisy and someone who is deceitful in their ways, you cannot call themselves having a godly characteristic of sincerity. You're not sincere. You're manipulative. You have these hidden agendas. So remember, Paul's trying to remind us, remember, our, con- our conscience before God is not the law of God, but it bears witness to that law. It's like a window. When you're a Christian and, and God is, is working through your life, it's like a window. You can see the light. You can see the light in your house, inside your life. is not a question. But if you let the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life come back and filtering back into your home, those windows become very dingy through the seasons. And when they become dingy, you become dimmer and dimmer of light that is shine into the community. People see a dimmer light. You can say whatever you want. Someone's home in here. But when you look at someone's life, their light becomes dimmer and dimmer, and they don't even realize their light is going out. Because they've let the things of the world and the things of the flesh come back and dominate their life. Paul said, I am am not hiding my light. It is bright, 
and as transparent and with sincerity and simplicity as you can get. And my conscience is clear regardless of what you tell me. Because he knew he was accountable to who? Not them. He was accountable to God. Because God is the one that judges the heart. Go back and read Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. Romans 2, verses 14 through 16. Now in verse 13, we see that Paul says, For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understood. Now I trust you will understand, even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast, as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. So Paul says, everything I've been writing to you, my brothers and sisters, there's no hidden agenda. There's no hidden message in there. I'm not writing one thing which I met something else. I'm not doing this to give you a veneer or front to pretend who I am. You know my life. You've seen my life. You've interacted with my life. Why is this, why is this happening here? Matter of fact, he's, he's even encouraging. He says, I'm so sure of the fact that once you come to an understanding and you would open your eyes at what you're saying here, that even in the day of the Lord, when God takes us home and we're in his presence, you and I are not going to look at each other and say, oh, you weren't sincere, Paul. Oh, you guys were coming. That all will just fade away. All that disappears when we're with the Lord. So why would we allow that to take place here on this earth? That critical spirit, that critical, the cynical cynicism that was hiding in there, I have no hidden meanings. My letters have been very straightforward, very simple, very straightforward. I have not, I haven't given you so much love in these letters that I wasn't willing to tell you the hard things. We just finished 1 Corinthians, that first letter. How clear and how straightforward was this man to these brothers and sisters? He wasn't sugarcoating it. It wasn't was some seeker-friendly kind of church where you don't mention anything that could possibly disrupt them. He made it very clear and transparent. He told the truth in love. Paul wasn't one of those people who say this, but you really mean that. Paul's life wasn't something where he had hidden actions or hidden motives or hidden meanings in his life. God worked all that out of his life. And he wants to work that out of our lives. We need to be telling the truth in love with no secret agendas or hidden actions or motives. See, the day of the Lord is coming. Oh, soon and very soon. <laughs> and when we get to the, in the presence of God, I can't wait because in heaven, all these divisions, these misunderstandings that the enemy can bring between two brothers or within a church family, that just all is forgiven 
is forgotten and is all transformed to his glory, we will just be praising our Lord. Amen? I can't wait. Because the enemy will no longer have the ability to divide and conquer you as a husband and a wife. Or between parents and children. Yes, your children become very disobedient. God says it's a sign of the end times that children will become very disobedient to parents. These are signs of the times. But when you just keep pouring into those children, regardless, we pray that their hearts will be changed and they will be in heaven with you. So that all that division will just disappear. And all be forgiven and all be forgotten. Remember, our conscience before God is clear when you live in the light of the return of Jesus Christ. See, when you constantly are saying, Lord, perhaps today, Lord, you're coming back for us. When that happens, your mind, your actions, your words, your, your, your transparency of who you are just does not pretend anymore because, Lord, I can't say that I love you and then go do this action. I can't say I really am abided in you when I desire the things of the, of the world and the flesh. I can't say that I have for certainty if I'm sitting here practicing the sin. Because if you really believe that Jesus can come, Christ can come back at any moment, you live your life like he's coming back at any moment. If you think you have the ability to manipulate and say, I know when God's going to return, when these certain things happen, you're certain at the end times, post-tribulation, post-seven years, I have time to get my life straight. Right now I'm going to be oh, just fine to live my life because I'll, I'll get it together when, I, when the tribulation happens. See, that's, that's just a trick of the enemy to convince you to continue to live a lukewarm life. Christian life. And God's very clear about what it means to live a cardinal, lukewarm Christian life. It's not good. That's why he says, your conscience is clear. At the end of the day, when you're putting your head in the pillow and you say, Lord, have I done everything you've asked me to do today? Was I obedient to what you asked me to do today? And the answer is clear without a doubt. Yes, yes. You'll sleep like a baby. But if it's a no, then you should repent. You should acknowledge and say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Lord, give me the strength. Change me so that tomorrow it will be a yes. Because I want to please you, Lord. That's where Paul was. His conscience was clear. What a great life it is when you live, when your life, your conscience is clear. And he continues in verse 15. He says, in this confidence, in this confidence that Paul has, I intend to come to you before. I really, my heart was to come to see you guys. That you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia and to come again from Macedonia to you and be helpful, be helped by you on my way to Judea. 
See, the Corinthian Christians accused Paul of being unreliable, untrustworthy, because he said he would come that, that a certain time and he didn't show up. But now he's writing again. He says, I know that did not work out. God had different plans. Things changed. But now I see a, a, even a better benefit there, my brothers and sisters. I'm going to come to you twice. On my way to Macedonia and on my way back from Macedonia, I'm actually going to show up at your doorstep. That is my desire. That's what I'm asking God. And don't forget, back in 1 Corinthians, he made it very clear. If the Lord permits... If it's the will of God, that is what I'm going to do. But if it's not the will of God, if the Lord does not permit it, and he closes those doors, what are you and I to do? Accept what God's changes he's given to in your life. Don't be so prideful, so prideful in your actions that you say, I'm going to make sure I gave my word. I'm going to follow through with it. That is true when you know it's the will of God and he's got those doors open. And we're not talking the doors closed or open and you choose. I don't feel like going. I said, yes, I'm coming. I'm, yes, I'm showing up. Yes, I'm going to come help. But I don't feel like it today. My little ingrown toenail is bothering me too much. So I'm not showing up. They'll understand. They're changing plans. God's will must be, I can't go because I have an ingrown toenail. Seek your heart on that. If it's, are you sure it's the Lord closing the door or just you finding an excuse? But if the Lord clearly closes that door, we are not so spiritually prideful that we force the door open of what God has closed because that can be great consequences to you and I. We just want God's will. And we always say, this is what God did you, I'm going to, because Paul is very clear that he says, I intended, I have seeked the Lord on these things. I have asked him, I wanted to know his will and I am going to go and I wanted to see you. That was my intent. That was what I believe was right. But God opened other opportunities and greater opportunities. I had to move and go do something for the Lord over here. But now I've got even something even better. The Lord is going to let me see you twice and you can, there's a second benefit from this and this is going to be great but we will see in 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 he has to change that again because when he visited there was such a confrontation and things didn't go well when he did visit that it was better for him not to show back up whatever that may be and he said for the sake of the Christians there it's best that I don't come again at that time again Lord is in control of our life and our steps if we would just let him direct your life why because we know things were going back and forth we saw the first letter we know there's the second letter that Paul wrote to him that got lost we don't know what that said we then see a third letter uh, you know again a letter, another letter was lost. Then finally we have the second Corinthians here. So we have four letters that were written by Paul. Two of them that the Lord said, this is what I have for, 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 for us. The other two it might have been just him writing something that was not from the Lord. It was just something that uh, was written. But we know that first and second Corinthians are epistles, the letters from God that we needed to hear as children of God. But remember, our conscience before God is clear. 
when you know that you, and like Paul, seek the leading of the Lord. You seek his will for this situation or this topic, whatever it may be, and allow that motive of ours, like Paul's motive, was to seek to please the Lord and not men. Because many times we'll make promises out of seeking to please man and that causes us not to be able to do because it's not the will of God. You don't put things in your basket, ladies, that God has not asked you to put in the basket. Others will tell you to put it in the basket because they really want you to help them. But that doesn't mean that God wants you to do it. That's why in all things, before you say yes or before you say a clear no, you seek the Lord and see what his will is. A maybe, guys, is a no. Be a yes, be a yes, and your no be a no. A maybe is a no. Just say no. It's better that you're clear and transparent and your conscience is clear. He says at the very end, helped by you on my way. See, there was an ancient custom back then. As travelers came to a town, they would see, there'd be, oh, there's someone coming. And if you were expecting someone, you would go way out and meet with them. And you would talk with them and help and support them as they come in that final leg of the journey into the finish line of coming into town. And then we see here at the very end, it was a blessing at the very end when you're ready to send people out, you would go out with them and you would walk with them out of town and and guide them and carry and help and support and communicate with them as they're leaving the town on the journey. And you would help them. You would make sure they had enough food and water and everything was ready and you would help them go on. As Paul said here, it would be a blessing for them as he comes and spends time with them that he would then send them out to Judea to do that. You wouldn't just walk out the door and slam the door and say, oh, thing, you're gone, you know. Two-day visit was way too long, you know. No, no, no. You can't ex- you're excited about when they arrive, and you're excited about as they move on to the next destination in their journey. That is the heart we are to have, like Paul. In verse 17, therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Do I just, just flippantly just say something to you? Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show up and hang out to, with you. Oh, yeah, now I'm going to hang out in the next two, two times. I'm on my way up and on my way back. See, you have to remember in context here. There was 200 miles separating him with the, and Corinth. And they didn't have a beautiful car with air conditioning to just drive those miles whenever they felt like getting in the car at a whim and say, oh, Let's drive 200 miles and let's go down and visit some friends here. See, we sometimes think that's how we think that, right? Oh, we'll get on a plane, throw across country, across the world. Who cares? It's no big deal. It's just 10 hours. For them, it was a big deal to make that commitment. To travel, they didn't have the transportation means. Most of it was by foot. So when they committed to come and see you, it was a 200-mile journey he was talking here. So this is very important. He understood that this wasn't some light conversation oh you know oh yeah I, I thank you for coming oh we're gonna come and visit you someday oh how many times i heard that kathleen and i heard that from people who love us from texas and california oh we can't wait to come visit you 16 years they never showed up 
But do you think that doesn't, doesn't, mean that, that doesn't mean that I sit there and say, oh, they're being manipulative and they don't really love us and stuff? No, you don't let your heart go down that path. <coughs> Their intention meant well, but things, priorities come in life. And hopefully they're following the will of God and, and, and understand it was if the Lord permitted. But he says, I was planning this, but did I do it lightly? You know, the answer says, or the things I plan, anything I plan. Do I plan according to the flesh? Do I just do it out of feelings? Do I do it out of emotion response? No, that's not who Paul is. That's who we're not supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to be making plans out of emotion. That with me, there should be yes, yes, and no, no. Simple and clear and sincere. That's how Paul thinks. That's what God has done in his life. That's the refinement that took place in Paul's life. He was a man of integrity. He would have come in person if he, when he said he would if God allowed that to take place. But God changed his plans. He didn't sit there and make a plan and say, yes, I'm coming, knowing I'm probably not going to be coming. No, I don't want that, but in your back of your mind, oh, yes, I really do want that. I'll just say it because I'll, I'll make him feel good. What are people going to think about, think of me if I say yes or say no? What would people think of me? See, that's not how we live our life. God has asked us to be transparent, simple, sincere. Yes be your yes, your no be your no. Jesus taught this as well, we see in the scriptures. See, Paul was criticized as a man who couldn't decide on a plan or who could not carry through on a plan. And those with the wrong heart among the Corinthian Christians there in Corinth seized on these circumstances to make Paul look bad as a leader. It's a tendency for men to find some kind of little weak point within leadership and just put in the doubts and say, oh, he just can't carry out a plan. He don't know what he's doing. Oh, man, if they let me there, I would be doing so much better job. I would have that all planned out, and it, wouldn't be, it would be flawless. We wouldn't be making these changes like we're seeing all the time. See, that part, as Paul is experiencing, is from people who are not mature in their faith, and they need to continue to mature because they have a critical heart, critical spirit inside them. It was all right for the Corinthian Christians to be disappointed. That's not the question. Of course they're disappointed. Oh, you're excited for someone to show up. They said they're going to come, they're going to visit, they're going to be encouraging. Oh, every time they come, it's great. You can't wait. But something happens. It's out of their control. Things are changed. Yes, you're going to be disappointed. Yes, oh, man, I wish you. God, God I really that wish. But let's pray for them because obviously God has something bigger and something going on in their life that God needs to have them do something different. But they were wronged in trying to blame Paul for that disappointment. See, there's a difference. You can be disappointed. The question is, is, 
do you start blaming the person or do you say, God, obviously you're in control of what's going on. There must be a reason. See, they needed to see Paul's heart. They needed to see God's hand in the circumstances. They needed to see that God was working in his heart and moving and opening and closing these doors. And there was a huge open opportunity that came out that we saw. He wrote to him in 1 Corinthians. But it didn't matter. These people's hearts were already, the division has already happened. That leader took some people, some weak Christians, a sweep sheep around him and tried to use that to leverage to cause problem within the church. But God takes care of these things. That's the beauty. When God, when you're walking in the will of God and you're doing what God's called you to do and you know and you're transparent and you're sincere and you know you have no motive, motivation except love and pouring into the people, God takes care of those with those type of hearts. They're just a time of, by God's grace, a change and maturity will take place. Verse 18. But as God is faithful... <laughs> oh, how, that is a very strong, strong statement. As God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. See, that's what my point, what I was just saying. Paul knew, I can rest in the hands of my loving father because I know my intentions and my conscience is clear. I know I'm in the will of God. I know I'm doing what he's asked me to do. I know I'm pleasing God. So it doesn't matter what the other people are doing. I just can pray for him. But God, my God is faithful. He will take care of the situation and the hearts of the people who are coming against me. It's his church. It's his, his, it's his sheep. He's going to take care of this and protect them. And Paul had great confidence knowing that God knows his yes was a yes, and it was not a yes, no. And Paul then continues with 19, verses 19. He's, he kind of knew their accusations were wrong. They knew it was based on this, this, this spiritual um, uh, attack. It's a spiritual division that was taking place. He says in verse 19, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, or the Latin name for um, Silas, so is Paul and Silas, and Timothy was not yes, no, but in him was yes. So he brings it back to the foundation like we should do in any conversation that comes for division. Let's go back to the foundation of why we're brothers and sisters. And in the Lord, is that is the fact that we are base our lives on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. I preach that to you. Not only me, but Silas and Timothy. We know you have a foundation in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who forgives. And by the grace of God, he, you've been forgiven. So I know our foundation is solid here, people. So Paul is saying, I know that you, in him, it was a yes, what I told you. You can, why don't you trust that? That God is in control of my life and your life and that we can come together and not have these divisions. It's a very important principle here. Because Paul knows this. The message affects the messenger. God takes a message that the messenger is about to communicate to the people. 
and he changes and does what he needs to do in the heart of the messenger prior to giving the message to the people. So he's saying to the people, God has worked in my heart. He's worked in Silas's heart, worked in Timothy's heart to come to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. That should be foundational for you to trust me in what I'm saying. If I could have showed up, I would have showed up. I would have been there for you in person. Isn't that enough for you to hold on to? Because we know, as we see in the scripture Paul is saying here, you cannot glorify Christ, practice deception at the same time. If you do, you will violate your conscience and erode your character, but eventually the truth will come out. You can sit there and say, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I go to church every Sunday, maybe every Sunday, maybe every three, maybe once a month. But I do go to church. But in your heart and in your thoughts and in your actions, behind the scenes, you're being deceptive. You live like the world. You live in the flesh. You go against. You're rumoring. You're gossiping. Your you're fractions going on. It's only a matter of time, Paul's saying here, that that deception will come out. It will be made light. You cannot continue to live a pretend Christian life. Only a matter of time. You can't handle the conviction. Or it comes to light, people see really who you are. It's only a matter of time. So Paul is saying here, I have preached this. God has done a work in my life. I know, but in him, in Jesus, it is a yes. I know where it's at. And I know if, if I was wrong, God would bring that to light. He would bring that to light. Verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yes. All the promises. And in him, amen. To the glory of God through us. See, remember, our conscience before God is clear when we glorify Jesus Christ. When you glorify, you worship him, your conscience stays clear. When you want to play with the world in the flesh, you want to be deceptive in your Christian religious walk, you will not glorify Jesus Christ. It's, you can't do it. Because your heart doesn't line up with what you're doing. It's only a matter of time you will stop doing it. That's always why it's, always a, it's a, always a warning for you and I. When you don't want to read the word of God, you don't want to pray, you don't want to, to, to pray for others, you don't want to, to worship, you don't want to sing out from your own heart. These are danger signs for you and I. What is in my life that's hindering me in my relationship with Jesus Christ? These are warning signs for you and I. And that's why we must come back and fall at the feet of Jesus 
and say, Lord, if you find any wicked way in me, reveal it because I want to just repent of it and I want to come back into your loving hands. I want to draw close because all of the promises that are from him are yes. See, when you're a child of God and you see the word all, what does that mean? All. So when you are studying the word of God and he gives you a promise from his word, is it a promise that you walk away from in that moment when you're sitting there, just you and him, walk away and say, I see that promise, that's so good. I, I, oh, I wish he would do that for me. Is it not a promise from God? Then is he going to be, is his yes a yes? Or is it a yes and no for only you? His yes is a yes for all. If you're a child of God, that promises are for you. If you're not a child of God, those promises are not for you. So that's why he says, Paul says, all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen. That's mean complete. It's done. It's going to happen. It's, it's a, you can take it to the bank, people. But by faith, you have to wait until he does it. In his timing, by his will, for his purpose. That is the hard part, isn't it? <laughs> That's the hard part. That's why we need the, the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the strength for our daily walk. He continues, verse 21, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Who, has, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So right here we see the working of the Holy Spirit in one's life as a believer. He, Paul says it establishes you in Christ. It's a foundation, you, your solid rock your, that you stand upon. Not quicksand. Not uncertainty. But a solid understanding of where you stand in your relationship with God, you have a hope of eternity. No question you have established. Not only has the Holy Spirit done that for you as a believer, but he says, Paul says, has anointed us, is anointed us to do the work. He's empowered us to do the work that he's called us to do. God has done that. But he has also sealed us. See, when he says has anointed, it's, it's a reference in the New Testament only one other place about being anointed. Do you know where that is? Here and in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27 are the only other place in the New Testament that talks about us being anointing, anointed as believers, all believers, not some special anointing for just special Christians, just for the pastor, just for the worship leader, just no, for all believers, there's an anointing that God empowers you to do the work. And the idea behind that anointing is he will prepare you and empower you 
for his service. That is a promise for you and I. And the fact that we are anointed means that we share something that we see also talked about in the anointing in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the ones who were anointed were who? The prophets, the priests, the kings. That is who God has done, is you and I, has been anointed for his work. We see the fact that he says sealed us. It's an ancient word. It means to identify and to protect. The Holy Spirit seals you. He shows an identity of who you are. You're now a child of God. He also, the fact that you're a child of God, you sit in the right palm of his hand. The Father has you in the palm of the hand and nothing touches your life unless it's first been Father filtered or approved. So that means you have a protection of God Almighty on your life. Why would you want to be anywhere else and entrusting your life in anyone else? Why would we? Why would we listen to the false promises of anybody else? But then the one who has you protected and sealed for eternity. See, the Holy Spirit is in us to identify us and protect us. And he also says it's a guarantee. The word guarantee is the word for a down payment. He has purchased you and I. He has claimed your life. And he did it with his own son's life. That is a major down, to, down payment for you. And then he says to you and I as a promise, I'm coming back for you because I've gone, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I, it's where it's going to be great and I'm going to come back for you and bring you home. This is just temporary living, temporary housing, temporary tent you live in. And as we studied in the previous weeks, he has a glorified body for you and I to come. Do you believe these things that we've been studying? Through 1 Corinthians. Do you believe this as we continue to study God's word? Remember, our conscience before God is clear when we are not grieving the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You will always lose. <laughs> God is all-powerful. Have I forgotten to tell you that lately? <laughs> he sees all things, he's all-powerful, and he's everywhere. You cannot, you cannot hide from your heavenly Father. You just can't. You just can't do it, so don't do it. And we'll finalize, final, uh, wrap it up here in verse 23, 24. 23, moreover, I call God as witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Woo! That's a, that's a very strong statement right there. Some of you are going, wait a minute, I thought we we're not supposed to give oaths. and we're not. <laughs> I know what you're probably thinking. But remember, Paul is, is really taking a very serious oath here. He's saying, as God is my witness against my own soul, I'm telling you the truth with all sincerity, with all transparency and clarity. I would have loved to have been there. And you can trust me. 
See, even Jesus said we should live our lives in such a way so that oaths are not necessary. We see that in Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. We should live our lives in such a way that when our yes, people hear yes, they just know that, okay, it's going to be a yes. Lord willing. He's, he, that, he, he means it. Or when he says no, he means it. There's no question. That's, our lives should reflect so that people who are fellowshipping with us knows that is who he is. There's no, there's no funny business behind the scenes. There's no, there's no Billy Bob here today at church, and when he or she leaves, Billy Joe leaves, she, she's completely someone else. You know, as God is my witness. But think about this. Our lives should reflect where we don't have to say oath. We don't have to say yes, and, and then I, I swear on my mother's grave, you know. That's how the world thinks. That is not how we live. Our lives, I should reflect who we are. But that doesn't mean we don't, could not give an oath. Why? It doesn't mean that because our oaths are per, that are prohibited. They're not prohibited because we know this. Why it's not prohibited is because we see in Hebrews 6.13 that we see on that occasion even God swears an oath right there. So we know they're not prohibited. But they're prohibited from us using them as a way to convince someone of something that is questionable what you're saying. See, the Corinthian Christians had assumed that Paul did not come in person because of selfish reasons. They wanted to think he simply was not a man of integrity. And oh, we can't trust him now. We really should stop listening to him and don't, you know, just listen to me, follow me. But Paul sets it very clear right here. As God is my witness against my soul, I am not coming to you, even after plan B, because I need to spare you, I came no more. I had to spare you because the, the, it got, we don't even know how ugly it got in confrontation when he was there. We just know that it was really bad and he says it's best that I don't come and rile the people up in, in conflict you're just God is going to have to work that out and I'm not going to have I'm not going to be, be part of that God is not going to allow me to be part of that to help work that out because it's not working you know when someone can say I call God as witness against my soul he knows that the Holy Spirit was not convicting his heart of what he was writing or what his actions were like. He knew he wasn't being convicted by the Holy Spirit. He knew that his motives were pure and his conscience before God was clear. See, you know that you're walking with the Lord and you know you're walking in his will and pleasing him 
Because you will not get the convictions of the Holy Spirit telling you what you just said was wrong, what you just said was misleading, what you just said was, is incorrect, that is a lie. See, the Spirit of God, as a child of God, will convict you. So when you're talking to someone that says, do you realize in the scripture what you're doing, son, daughter, does not line up with the scripture? And they go, well, I don't care what the big deal is. What's the big deal? Get over it. It's my life. And there's no conviction. You have to question. Do they have the Holy Spirit living within them? As a child of God, you have the Spirit of God. We know that's a promise. So if you don't have conviction, something's not right. Something's not right in your life if you're not convicted. Because the scripture is very clear that as a child of God, he will not allow you to live in sin. He will convict you. And Paul's saying to the people, I'm not convicted. I know within the depths of my soul I'm not convicted. I know I was, my yes was my yes and my no was my no. And God is my witness because I have no conviction whatsoever. And I sleep well. Verse 24, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for your faith you stand. And he closes out here in this part of the, the first part of the letter. He says, I don't have dominion over your life as a child of God. I am not to lord over your life. A minister, a pastor is not to lord over your life. You do know that, I hope. I know in some churches, some people can't even buy a car without going to their reverend to get approval. That is lording over someone's life. I am not going to lord over your life. I know some, trust me, when I first got saved, I said, well, I wish they would just come tell me, hit me upside the head, kick me in the butt, and say, you will do the following, Corey. But they didn't do that. I'm like, why don't they do that? It would be better if they would just kick, kick my butt. But by God's grace, they allowed me to give me time to mature and grow in my faith. And they knew the Spirit of God was in me as a child of God, and it was only a matter of time. The pressure of God's hand on me was far greater than any kick in the butt. Do you know what I'm saying? You've been there, haven't you? When the hand of God has been placed upon you and the pressure is there that causes you to come and buckle to your knees and ask for, for mercy. That's why you don't hear these things from me in regards to coming in your life and telling you what to do. I just tell you what God says. Now it's your question is, are you going to be obedient to the word of God as a child of God? I just know it's only a matter of time you will do it. I don't have to lord over it. That's what Paul's saying. I don't have dominion over your faith. Your faith is between you and God. You live. You live your life that's pleasing in the will of God. That is between you and God. I just know if it goes against the word of God, you can't say it's the will of God. Because I have the word of, word of God that tells me so. That that's not his will. Because <laughs> it says right here, you, shall not, you can't do that. Or you should be doing that. Where it's clear, you'll hear it from me. Where it's not clear, I don't speak of it. That's between you and God. 
So Paul's careful point here. He says, we're just fellow workers. As a minister, as, the, as the, an apostle, as a, as a leader of this church, I am a fellow worker just like you, just serving our Lord, going out and doing what he's called us to do it, be faithful in doing that, and just do it with a clear conscience here. I'm out there just like you. Yes, sadly, far too many try to lord over as a minister, as a leader of a church. But that is not Paul's heart because he knows that is not God's heart. We don't lord over the people. Husbands, you do not lord over your wives and your children. You serve them. You protect them. Provide for them. You nurture them. You care for them. Good times or bad times, sickness or health, richer for poorer. When the kids are in the house or when the kids leave, men lead. You don't lord over. That will cause division and absolute chaos in your housemen. Love them. Train them up in the ways of the Lord. Allow them to come to Christ by your example. And then they have the Holy Spirit living inside them. The Holy Spirit will do the work. You just keep sharing the word of God. Nurturing them with the, the, the word of God. Let God do the work. And he says, we're fellow workers for your joy. What a great description of what a minister or a pastor, or in this case, Paul, an apostle. A great description of them, of a leader of a church. They're fellow workers. They come alongside the people, working alongside their people to increase their joy. The sweat and the tears and the dirt the work that's done, they're right there with you, right alongside you. They're not telling you to go do something and they sit back and do nothing. A leader will get up in the morning, will stay late at night, they'll go all through every season of your life. That is what God's leaders are to do. And Paul says, I am a fellow worker. And I want to make sure I bring joy to you as that leader. Because I want to come alongside you. Let's go and do what God's called us to do. Let our conscience before God be clear.